Blog Talk Radio. week as the road to the 2015-16 season. It's a long one, that's for sure. It continues tonight. And we start tonight by not even looking at the season that's coming up. But I start with this. Get ready. Get ready for a recruiting watch unlike we have seen in quite some time. The 2016 recruiting class has the potential to be one of the best that we have seen in many a year. It's led by a kid named Harry Giles. And Matt Norlander of CBS Sports wrote about him earlier, uh, about 12 days ago or so, a little under two weeks ago. And I've been wanting to get Matt on the show, and we have him tonight. Very exciting to have him. He talked to Harry, who played in the Peach Jam, and in his story he brings up Harry, who is the number one player in the class of 2016 uh, for most 
for the major recruiting sites. Harry Giles is getting more attention than Chris Paul at the Peach Jam. Uh, Giles, who's on Team CP3, Paul was at the Peach Jam, the, the huge showcase, and he was outside. Giles was outside the gym as well as Paul, and more fans were flocking to Giles. Six foot ten monster that just has the ability to climb above that rim and throw it down. We've seen highly hyped guys. Okay. What we're seeing one now coming in, and his name is Ben Simmons. But in a class as good as this one coming up, and we're going to get to this class uh, in a little bit here with Matt, to see Giles and what he can do inside, people are saying that this is the type of kid. This is also a kid who had a knee injury at one point. Um, This is a kid who's had some issues health-wise, but looks like an absolute beast right now, an absolute beast at Oak Hill Academy. Jason Tatum, the number two ranked recruit in the ESPN Top 100, has committed to Duke. You saw that uh, in July. And then it's a small forward in Josh Jackson, a flurry uh, of guards in Dennis Smith Jr., as well as Malik Monk. These guys all down south, as well as Kobe Simmons. We're also going to get to the interesting case, the ever-changing Matt. Uh, we're going to get to Matt Norlander in a second, but the ever-changing case of Con Maker. Uh, he's got an interesting story as well. But Matt wrote about this: uh, the life of Harry Giles, the third, and just the kind of kid that he is. And in telling his story, I, I noticed this is the type of kid that folks not only talented, but it looks like he's got the identity of a big-time player. And that's why we welcome Matt Norlander on the show to talk about this 2016 class that he's been writing quite a bit about and what's yet to come here in the college basketball season in the 2015-16 campaign. Matt, thanks so much for joining me late night here on College Hoops Digest Radio. How are you, partner? John, I appreciate you having me on, especially in what I consider to be the slowest month of the college basketball calendar. August is when everything really comes to a halt because either teams are on trips or this was the time where a lot of guys can go home for two or three weeks before school starts up. Uh, so we get to reflect on the summer and really start to prep for the uh, for the season ahead. And so it is a, it is a pleasure for the, to come on and chat with you because uh, I don't have too much that's uh, keeping me and tearing me away like when we last spoke when I was in Cleveland for the regionals. You were in Cleveland. and You know what? You took some time out of your very busy schedule uh, in actually my hometown. It was a pleasure to have you on then when there were some big-time matchups going on that weekend. I remember the uh, Kentucky Wildcats were over there. But, Matt, nonetheless, we get to this story, and it was excellent work by you an in-depth look at the top recruit in Harry Giles. And I think that this month in a dead period, it's good to look ahead before uh, we look at the season upon us. And when you have a recruiting class this good, um, this recruiting class to you, with Harry Giles leading the way, I'm going to start with this. And it's a tough one, but fill in the blank for me. Harry Giles reminds you of who and why. Well, yeah. Okay, so before I answer that in full, I will say this. Um, 
we have a tendency to play the comparison game, which sometimes can be accurate. Sometimes you can get yourself into traps. But here's my approach on it, actually. In my opinion, generally speaking, if you're comparing any kid that hasn't even played a college game yet, you're susceptible to looking silly down the road because a lot of, like, signature developmental stuff that can happen with the player basically comes once he's played college and then in his first two or three years of the NBA. I think those are the most pivotal years in terms of truly a player kind of unlocking what he can be. Um, so a lot of it can be very raw. With Giles, I say in the story to shy away from comparisons because in a lot of ways, and I am by no means uh, a veteran guy of the recruiting beat, the prep beat, I've only seen summer basketball for the fast, past five years. I mean, I know college hoops well dating back to the 90s, but in terms of comparing him to any prep player I've seen, uh, he doesn't. Um, a lot of guys have been thrown out there I mean, everything from Chris Weber <laughs> to, in some ways, uh, a young Antonio Davis, which is kind of crazy to me. Um, but if I had to compare him to someone, I would say he's got – he's not as good. I, won't, I will refuse to say he's as good, especially at this point. I would say he's got the defensive ability, makeup, and potential – to be almost as impactful as Anthony Davis was at Kentucky. Um, overall, though, just let him bloom, let him blossom, and just simply knowing that he is the number, he's the best player in the class of 2016. Whatever program he ends up picking, uh, that team's relative to what you know they're expecting for that upcoming season will be that much more. If he goes to Duke, a national championship will be something they're discussing. If he goes to Wake Forest, reaching the Sweet 16 will be something that that program is expecting. Carolina, Final Four, given what they're, you know, we'll see, you know, if he ends up picking them. It's not thought that he'll do that, especially with an unknown coming in in terms of NCAA sanctions. Um, Kentucky, obviously national title, Kansas national title. So it will be intriguing. um, But overall, just a very well-balanced kid, very nice kid, I don't, as I said, I don't have a, a long history of dealing on the recruiting trail, but I've talked to pretty much every number one or number two overall prospect in the past five summers. And to me, Giles was far and away the most approachable, the best with his time, and the most considerate of reporters' time. And, like, you know, I wrote a big profile on him. Um, he, he did. Him and his father, they were, they were understanding of that. They were accommodating um, and uh, it kind of speaks volumes to how he was raised in PS. It was a great, great story. It's on CBSSports.com, and I wanted to start with that and just let you know how much I enjoyed reading that. But looking at this class as a whole, uh, this, to say the least, is an absolutely top to bottom for Giles to be leading. I think it says all that much more about him. But tell college basketball fans right now, Matt, uh, what we're looking at. Uh, and how remarkable this class has the potential to be. It has the potential to be a very good class. Okay, so here's how I basically frame Giles' stuff, and I'll get to the overall class. I don't believe Giles is the best prospect of the past decade. In fact, you could probably make the case he's not even a top three prospect of every prospect that's come through in the past ten years. But here's the fact. Wow. He is he is considered the best prospect in this class, and people consider this to be the best class probably in the past 10 years, if not longer. 
So that speaks to his overall ability because I'm looking at 247 sports right now, okay? And I'm going to run you down top, you know, 12 names here real quick. Giles, Josh Jackson, who some still believe could end up being the best pro in this group, and some, there are a minority say he's better than Giles. I I, I can't say that uh, for sure. Dennis Smith, the point guard who actually tore his ACL about a week ago, he's going to be out and will miss in the entirety of his senior season most likely at the high school level, which is unfortunate because Dennis Smith is an extremely talented point guard in a loaded point guard class. He's thought to be going to NC State or at least leaning that. We'll see. Malik Monk is a guy whose name has been out there for a couple of years. Um, he is a – I would qualify him as a shooting guard. Some think he can play some point. Tremendous talent, future lottery pick, probably Jason Tatum. Uh, Jason Tatum, to me, is right there with Giles in terms of being the – when you watch them play, they look yep. – to have skill sets at an NBA level already, and more than any other pre- pre- person or prospect I've seen. Uh, real quick, seventh is De'Aaron Fox, another point guard who, if you were to see him without a ball in his hand, you'd be like, that's a small forward. Uh, he's a 6'5", lanky, lanky dude, but he can handle the ball well. Really, really good talent. Kobe Simmons is another point guard who actually some people think is a little overrated, and I actually think so many people think he's overrated to the point where he's now properly rated. Um, probably not a top 10 kid, true and true, top 20 kid, but another talented point guard. Son Maker comes in at ninth on 247's composite list overall. There's been plenty said, written, seen, and heard from about Son Maker. <laughs> He's a seven-foot dude who can cross over. He has been inconsistent overall, but without a doubt, I mean, listen, his ability um, and his yeah. game, and he's kind of been an internet sensation overall. And then Jonathan Isaac, kind of like, to me, the end of the radar, really talented power forward prospect who's going to go to Florida State and just keep an eye on him. And then Terrence Ferguson, uh, interesting shooting guard, small forward combo guy, and T.J. Leaf, who recently decommitted from Arizona. Um, really interesting player, uh, 6'9", 215. And then 13, they've actually got Frank Jackson, who I also profile. Frank Jackson, to me, um, is almost definitely going to pick Duke. Giles is expected to pick Duke. If those two things come to be, you will see Duke for what I believe is the third time in four years land the number one overall recruiting class, and that will force mean that Kentucky, for all of its you know recruiting victories, it has not been able to beat out Shashevsky if Giles and Jackson pick Duke, which is what I'm expecting. Matt Norlander is our guest from CBS Sports. Does an outstanding job over there. And Matt, I turn to this upcoming season and an intriguing story coming out last week and in a dead time of year this got a little bit more pickup not the first time that it has happened but nonetheless our savior new american school um it's going to be looked at here as a top 10 recruit chief diallo uh, his status at kansas well it's going to take some time to get fully cleared to see if he is cleared to play because that has not yet happened uh, any thoughts on this situation matt well, I definitely have thoughts on it. I will, you know, in the interest of uh, in the total transparency, I've not been chasing or reporting this story just yet. Um, as we get closer, I think you'll see more intensity around it. The basics are this. Uh, Chick Diallo uh, attended the school, our savior new American school. It's, it's requirements upon 
you know, graduation and, and completion um, don't measure up necessarily to the NCAA standards. There's a debate to be had whether the NCAA or Kansas itself should be the sole deciders of this. Kansas has its own admission standards, and then beyond that, the NCAA kind of has an across the board, here's what you need to complete. I'm actually fairly okay with that because you could enter a situation where schools to a certain degree could cut corners and get guys in, um, and I kind of feel like you need some regulation to, to prevent that. But we have a situation where Kansas, for the second straight year, has, and, we're, and just regard to big guys, overall with self, if you look over the past five to six years in players being ready or straight up eligible throughout their freshman seasons, whether it has been eligibility or injury concerns, to me, and I might go back and look at this now that we've talked about it, I'm almost doing a, a Gary Parrish, my colleague here, and talking myself into a piece. <laughs> but I'm wondering if there has been a season start to finish where there's been, you know, a five-star freshman or a starting freshman on Bill Self's team where he just has had no concerns. He has had a freshman with a lot of talent, and they've <laughs> been available for the start. I wonder if that's happened. With Diallo, listen, to me it's a big-time deal because he's a five-star player considered the best power forward in the class of 2015. This is the upcoming season we're talking about with this guy. And is he going to be cleared by the NCAA's clearinghouse? If he is, will he have to miss some sort of games? Are we strictly talking about finishing coursework here? And if we are, is that going to be clarified so he can play? Or will he have to kind of extend his workload into the fall and not be able to play until the second semester? That remains to be seen. It's been a story that Kansas fans, and really only Kansas fans, have been aware of and tracking. But if we get to basically September and don't have an answer, and by the way, I think that is where we're headed, uh, I think the story will gain more yeah. steam. And we, I would think we'll have an answer on Diallo by mid-September. Anything beyond that, yeah, maybe end of September. Uh, anything beyond that, and you're really going to start seeing some heat on the NCAA. Because more than anything, Kansas, you know, needs and deserves a verdict. They've had, the NCAA has had plenty of time to either clear or not uh, Diallo, who is, in my opinion, a player that's arguably, arguably, arguably uh, a deciding factor in them winning a Big 12 regular season title because, you know, while it's totally logistic to not doubt Bill Self will win a Big 12 title unless until he doesn't do it because he's done it 11 years in a row, uh, the reality is that Iowa State and Oklahoma both have teams that are capable of reaching yeah. a Final Four. And so inherently, if they're capable of reaching a Final Four, of course they're capable of competing with Kansas for that league title. Uh, no doubt about it. The Big 12 is fascinating. I think everybody is first to jump towards Iowa State. Uh, but the job that Lon Kruger continues to do at, at Oklahoma, Matt, to stay on the Big 12 for just a second, once again, he's got a veteran core coming back. Uh, he, he has really risen that program up, and it, it's remarkable. Whereas you might think at first glance that it, it was Kansas and Iowa State uh, has risen up as well as Texas. Now it's really it's Oklahoma there. They're in that slot, and that team, once again, veteran core, and Kruger's done a fantastic job. That program's going to be very intriguing to watch. I think they're kind of forgotten at the top of the Big 12, but I don't think they will be this year, Matt. I don't think they will be. I think So it's interesting because – Sometimes, as we follow college basketball, you and I, and I, you know, I get so into it. It's my job. I cover it year round, and uh, you know, I just know the sport, the rosters, who's returning so well, just inherently. Uh, but then, if you ask me about college football, it's a sport I enjoy. 
it's a sport I watch. I mean, during the season, I will watch college football every single Saturday. I won't watch it for nine hours. On some Saturdays, I might only watch it for, honestly, an hour and a half. It kind of depends on my own personal schedule. The point I'm making is I can't really tell you right now who the top ten teams in college football should be. I can tell you that I know Notre Dame is supposed to be a top ten team. I know that TCU and Baylor should be good. I know Oregon will be good again. I know Florida State is going to take a little bit of a dip. I know Ohio State is supposed to be the best team in the sport. I know Alabama is going to be good, but they've got a tough schedule. And I know some, you know, random particulars, but I can't give you a 1 through 10. And so I think a lot of people when it comes to college basketball, <laughs> even college basketball fans that might even watch the sport while college football is going on, they might not realize that Oklahoma really is a top 10 preseason team and is a team that, as I said, has final four aspirations. It's a team that honestly has a roster things things break the right way where they could win a national title. And I know that kind of seems weird to some people because they might think, you know, it's Oklahoma, you know, they've been good at Blake. You know, they've had years, but they've never been a team that I could ever see winning a title. Well, I'm telling you, Buddy Heald, um, he could on oh. throw, he's come back. He could be there. He could have a player of the year season. He is one of a handful of guys that's capable of doing that, but they have to bring back so many guys. Kruger is a really respected coach. I mean, he's taken, what, five teams to the tournament, I think, right? I mean, it's just I don't think anyone's done that. I think he's the only coach to ever do that. Um, the style he plays, the age, the length, the athleticism, the strength they have, just, you know, Oklahoma is a team that I would be – if you if you told me Oklahoma failed to win 25 games this season and failed to reach – or at least win a game, the tournament is so fickle. I mean, you really could get beaten around at 32 in a weird situation. So I almost never say that would shock me. But if you tell me Oklahoma doesn't win 25 games and finishes top three in the Big 12, I would tell you that would shock me. Yeah, it would. I had to – Double take, absolutely triple take for a second, Matt, because Matt, Ryan Spangler, once again, has another year of eligibility. I know, and isn't that crazy? Back as, I know. <laughs> it, it's that, but, you, you know, know transfer year, he sits of, out. You know, yeah, it, it's one of those things where I, and I everything of, breaks uh, the right way. I think of John Diebler at Ohio State. He, he was, like, there you know, for, like, always, seven but, years. You know, it's funny. To a certain degree, people always think it's the white guys that stay the longest. You ever notice that? <laughs> Why is You're that? right. Why uh, is that? I, I don't, I don't know. But Matt Norlander is our guest from CBS Sports. Matt, let's do some rapid fire uh, before we go. The number one coaching situation that you are watching entering this upcoming season, whether it's a coach on the hot seat or a first year guy. Oh, okay. I'm going to do one of both. Uh, rapid fire, new guy. Steve Prom at Iowa State just because he's in a he's an this isn't so rapid, but two quick things on him. One, I wrote a piece back when he was hired. His actual situation from a broad perspective is not that unusual. And that situation is a guy that spent three years or less at a small school and or had no head coaching experience going to a major power. Um, there is precedent for that and guys have been successful just as often as they haven't been. So just because he hasn't been at this level for at, at any period, and he's on a long-time coach, doesn't mean that he can't win big in the long term. Uh, the other thing that's not so common is he inherits a team that can go to a Final Four. This does not happen too, too often. Uh, you have it maybe once every four to six years where you have a situation where a school has lost a coach to the NBA to retirement for whatever reason, and then his replacement comes in with a team that's basically Final Four capable. So that's the 
that's the higher that I'm most interested. I would say the the hot seat situation. Man, I think it's UNLV to me, just because Dave Rice has had talent. His records actually aren't brutal. Here's the thing: like they've won more than 20 games uh, three of his four years, but they haven't had tremendous success in the tournament. They haven't made the tournament the past two years. I don't think. I, I don't think they made it in 2014. They definitely didn't make it last year. And so he's got a solid group coming in, a good roster. UNLV should absolutely be making the tournament and has the talent to reach the second weekend. I think if he makes the tournament, he saves his job, but there's no guarantee that happens. So I would say of all the coaches that could be entering the hot seat, uh, what Dave Rice has there, it intrigues me most. Matt Norlander, our guest. And uh, Matt, we... Look ahead now to this upcoming season. I have to ask you about this. Rhode Island, Hassan Martin, love them. You have them winning the Atlantic 10. Why? I have them winning the Atlantic 10 because I think they have the best roster in the league and Shaka Smart's no longer in it, and I don't think Davidson brings enough back to repeat. Dayton also lost some big guys. I think it's just their turn. I think they're up. I think Danny Hurley's a really good coach. There is something to be said. You know, I wrote an off-season kind of catch-up on the A-10, and I talked with a few coaches just kind of shooting the breeze. Um, You know, this is both on the phone and at recruiting events, and a couple of them frankly said, listen, Rhode Island never does well with expectation on a a season-to-season basis or in terms of games that they're like bigger games in the league or out of conference that they're expected to win. You know, over the past two decades, basically, that program, for the most part, does not come up in the moments when it needs to. And there's something to be said for that. But, you know, Hurley had such a good defensive team last year. And in my opinion, when you've got really good defense, you're less likely to, quote, unquote, choke than if your offense is really good. This is going to be year number four for him. The team has gotten better every single year. E.C. Matthews and Hassan Martin, I think, are studs. I like what they have overall. So, to me, it's the safe pick. It, there's no guarantee it happens. If you t- honest, and I will say honestly, if you told me Rhode Island finished fourth in the eight time the upcoming season, I would not be surprised one bit. I still think that's yeah. good enough to get into the tournament. But um, when you look at what they have and how they've progressed, it's the natural uh, pick for me in terms of who's going to win that. Just a couple more minutes left here with Matt Norlander. I absolutely loved having him on the show. Matt, are you buying into Dunn Mania? Chris Dunn the star in college basketball, not a deep roster for Providence. Are you buying into that they can be a tournament team? Well, uh, first of all, loving the Rhode Island love. <laughs> um, just because I live in the Northeastern Connecticut and it's a bordering state, I guess. So done, <laughs> real quick on done. We at CBS Sports, we do an annual poll of coaches on a number of topics. Our first one went live on yes. Monday, and then we asked, we asked, uh, we asked about 85 coaches for this question. Uh, you have any player you can wow. take that's not on your own team, who are you taking? Chris Dunn won it uh, among over all other players. Some might not realize that Dunn could have been a lottery pick had he left. He opts to come back. He doesn't have a great team yeah. around him. I think Providence has got a bubble team written all over it. I actually think Dunn will not win player of the year because Providence will not be good enough to keep him in the conversation. He's ridiculous. Like I do think he'll average 17 points, eight boards, and eight assists. I think he'll have something like that. Um, which is an outstanding line to have, and I think he'll be a first-team All-American. But, I, I like, if you're asking me, to, I'll say Providence is first. I think they play in Dayton in the first four. I think they'll just squeak in thanks to Dunn. They just don't have a lot compared to what they had last year, and he's going to have to do a lot, and Providence has a little bit of a tough schedule as well. 
Matt Norlander, Fred Van Vliet, and Ron Baker, are they the best backcourt duo in the country? Ooh, I have not thought a lot about this. I'll probably end up doing our backcourt rankings for CBS again when we get to preseason stuff. I'm trying to think. All right, so I will say worst they'll be considered second, and they could be considered first. Um, there might be a three-guard lineup coming in that might be better just by pure numbers because, you know, Van Vliet and Baker are just a two-man combo. But they've played together. I mean, this is a, a, a veteran combo here, okay? And because of that, Wichita State will again be favored to win the Valley, as it should. It will have second weekend expectations, as it should. Um, Baker, more than Van Vliet, passed up the opportunity to be drafted. The fact that they're seniors, you know, these are guys that, you know, some people you know, might be like, oh, they've been around forever. Well, no, they've been around. This will be their fourth year, and they've just been relevant players because back, back in their freshman season, that's kind of when it all, I guess, really kicked off for them. I mean, that was the Final Four run. Van Vliet was a freshman. I mean, Baker was just a moppy-headed kid who a lot of people didn't know. Um, and Andrew Wiggins' his brother was on that team, people forget. Um, but, yeah, I think they – at worst, are the second best backcourt. They might be the best backcourt. I just can't say for certain. And I'd have to really look at the rosters coming in and see uh, see who might be able to compete. You know, Kentucky will be there. Obviously, they'll have Ulis, Jamal Murray, who's really good. There's something to be said for that, without a question. Man, Norlander, you're always a treat to have on. Let's do it again, my friend. Thank you so much for coming on tonight's show. Hey, John, thanks for having me on. You enjoy the rest of your summer, and I'll talk to you down the road. Thanks a lot, Matt. Matt Norlander joining us here from CBS Sports. Does a great job over there with their college basketball covers. Thanks again to Matt. We're going to wrap up the show here. And I'll tell you what, folks. I know it's only August, but I can't help. My my good friend Zach Braziller was ripping some people on Twitter this evening saying, it's August. Why the heck are you talking about college basketball? Because there's never a bad time to talk about it. That's why, Zach. Because that madness produces the best moments in sports, in my humble opinion. Great job by Matt Norlander over at CBS Sports. He uh, really pinpoints on all the great headlines across the world of college basketball. That is for sure. Um, 